VorpalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. This is Owen K.C. Stevens, author of The Guide to Absalom, and you're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we are reviewing the final public playtest for D&D Next. The next time the public sees the fifth edition of Dungeons & Dragons, it will be in the final product. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to review what we know about the current rules to see sort of one last time where we're at before the whole thing's done. And joining us today is our esteemed panel of experts (laughs) (laughs) okay so i may have copied and pasted you know what jeff i'm not that fat okay i'm not a whole panel it's our esteemed panel of experts (laughs) (laughs) namely our editor sam dylan hello (laughs) so what have you been up to besides editing our show um, I, I'm not much. I'm I'm still, you know, working and, and writing a dissertation. And I, I've been doing a lot of gaming, actually. So I sort of stepped away from uh, from writing on my blog for a few weeks again. And uh, and I'm just playing games. So there you go. Awesome. Yes, yes. So not not much going going on in your life besides yeah. working and writing a dissertation and yeah. editing and, and editing I, three podcasts yeah. and you know. Yeah, editing three podcasts. And I have I have two full t- you know full face to face gaming groups and. You know, whatever. Not not much. Not much. (laughs) And I'm married, so, you know, my wife hardly ever sees me, but that's okay. Editing the Tome Show is important. It is. And (laughs) and we appreciate that you do it for us. So, are one of the groups playing D&D Next? One of them is playing D&D Next. Awesome. So you'll be our our true expert. (laughs) Yes, I can be your true expert. Hey, what am I? The untrue, <laughs> the untrue expert. <laughs> All right, no, that's fair. Let's so let's let's get into that. Let's talk about that. Uh, let's give each of our so we so we, we sort of know where we're coming from. Where what's our each of our experience levels with this final playtest packet? Um, I've been playing D and D next with uh, one of my face to face groups for about well since since June. Um. But we, when the August playtest packet came out, we played one session with it, and then we went back to the July packet. And then when September came out, we've played one session, and then and then my next game is not until this week. But I've played two other games with two other groups with this most recent package. Well, I take that back. One with the September nineteenth packet, and then there was an update on ten fourteen, and I've played one game with that. Okay, Tracy. Um, I did a little bit with the beginning of the playtest, and then I played a few games in the summer, and then I'm actually running this, so I've read the September packet, and I'm going to be running D&D Next at a con, not this weekend, but next. Okay. And I've been running Next, well, I ran it early on, and then it was way too early, and changing way too fast and way too light, and so I Mm -hmm. ditched it for a while and then really came back to it. Oh, probably last summer or so, uh, beginning of the of the last summer or so. Uh, so probably playing about as long as you have, Sam. Um, and I have played the latest packet 
well, with the exception of the update, um, mm-hmm. I've played the latest packet probably once or twice, um, and I've it's, it's not the kind of thing that I've you know read cover to cover, so to speak, but uh, but I've mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it uh, fairly well at this point, having played through it for a while, and it's also worth noting that I'm also um, an alpha playtester, so um, I've had the experience of seeing some of this stuff in earlier. Mm-hmm. Incarnations before it came out in, in, as a public playtest packet, um, so not all of it was new to me then, then either, which gives me a little bit more experience. And, and I'll continue to see stuff. I've actually seen two more playtest things since the the public playtest packet came out. So, cool. So there's my experience. So the latest playtest packet. What's in it? Everything. Everything. <laughs> you know what? That's not that's not horribly inaccurate. Like part of me was thinking that we should talk about what's there, what's not there. The, that needs to be in whatever, and and there's actually a lot there. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know I, I've never actually gone through and just really looked at the rules. I've just sort of looked them up as I've needed them uh, until tonight when I started looking through them uh, a little more thoroughly, so I could better answer this question. And and I feel like there's actually a lot there. Yeah. Well, from the player sp- player perspective, there's um, the barbarian class the bard class there's the druid there's the fighter there's the rogue the ranger the thief oh sorry thief and rogue the same sorry i'm on i'm on thief brain uh and then there's the mage and the monk i mean there's plenty of classes and then there's you know your general elf and dwarf two different sub sub races of those and there's the you know human of course and then there's halfling a couple of sub races of those and then there they also added the kinder the tiefling the half orc dragonborn um, drow dragonborn. gnome right so there's plenty of races and classes Warforged. there's lots of spells well that's right the warforged i forgot about mm-hmm. that one there's lots of spells there's you know and from the and the, the how to play document has everything from you know attempting that's the tasks, docu- that's the document that impressed you know, me as I went th- as I went through the how to play document uh, in more detail today, getting ready ready for this episode. This is the document that actually impresses me the most because I never realized just how thoroughly complete these rules were. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. I've always just sort of looked them up as I needed them, but there's a lot more here than than what I realized was here. Did you look at the GM guidelines? Because those are pretty expanded those too. Are, those got, are decent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think those are pretty, pretty decent. decent. I think there's a lot more that needs to go into the DM guidelines in terms of oh, like, sure. teaching people how to be DMs. Um, yep. But I feel like the, the how to play document is, is I don't know, it's, it's relatively short, but it's also relatively complete. I don't know what m- mm-hmm. how much more I need there. Now, I think there's some things in there that I think I would like to change, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that we'll talk about as well. But even even the equipment section is is pretty substantial. I mean, you know, for the for the core game, and it has you know descriptions of 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 basic things that the basic make equi- sense, the basic equipment. You know, the, the basic equipment is yeah. yeah. That's what I mean, though. You know, for for a core set with basic equipment, it's pretty yeah. good. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, I'm looking. The basic equipment section is 13 pages, and I don't know that basic equipment mm-hmm. sections are usually that expansive anyway. So yeah. there, there's not much more maybe to look at there. Now, the magic mm-hmm. items in terms of equipment could could use. Uh, oh some, sure, some fleshing out. And as much yeah. as I, we look at classes, and there's a lot there, mm-hmm. there's some notable absences that I think people will want at the same time it's already 54 pages of classes like they're going to mm-hmm. fill a book just with classes by the time they format and add art and, and tweak the rules and make it all look pretty and all that you know <clears throat> well the font's pretty big and the yeah the, the formatting is going to I don't know that it'll expand a huge number of pages but it will definitely expand at least a little bit yeah 
There's just there's a lot. I'm, I'm sure on. they'll shrink the font because I don't. You know, if they if they were to you know if I print I didn't I had to print it two two pages per page because I don't didn't want to waste that much paper and ink. Sure. But um, it's like. If they if they were to to throw a p- little even a piece of quarter page art on every page, this thing would be like five hundred pages long, mm. which I guess isn't too far out when you're talking. If if they were to split it to, into a monster manual, a DMG, and a player's guide, sure, absolutely. I mean that's not mm. horrible. Yeah. So it's so in in that respect, it's a nice hefty size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 actually I mean I'm fairly thoroughly impressed with how complete it actually is at this point it's actually and part of it part of it is i i I didn't see how complete it was because i've been part of the process all along you know Mm -hmm. it's sort of been slowly filled out and i didn't actually recognize that how complete it was until i took the time to actually stop and go through it now um now there's some notable notable absences um and we can get into a little bit of what it's missing, you know. Obviously, there's some classes I think that's missing. There's some races that they're going to that they're going to want to add. Magic items need to be fleshed out. Feats. There's and, and the, ba- right. that's what that. I was going to say. Is there's only about three pages of feats. Yeah. So feats and and, and backgrounds and skills and cool. and um, the bestiary and and um, you know a lot of that stuff needs to be fleshed out. But it's not it's not a mechanical issue. It's just a you haven't given us all the options yet. So it'd be nice to see that right. done. You know. Well, that's what I – I mean the, the feats and the backgrounds are, are basically optional things at this point. So it's OK for them to not be complete. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't it that the only time you would take a feat is if you decided not to take a ability score bump? Stat bump, yeah. That's stat right, bump. yeah. And the stat bump doesn't happen until, what, third level or something? Fourth level uh, for most classes? Yeah, fourth level. Ability score improvement is fourth, at fourth level. So, you know, the fact that they don't have a, a crap ton of feats for you to choose from isn't a big all deal. that detrimental. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to have, an, yeah. even by 20th level, you're going to have one, two, three, four, five, six feats total. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. But, not, not many. Yeah. What I found kind of interesting is that they've both made a lot of choices and fewer choices to me. Because it seemed like every class that I read uh, had. Like those two choices that uh, subclasses that you could choose between, right. whether it was a wizardry school or a bard college or whatnot, mm-hmm. right? And those are pretty much packages together, so you weren't choosing a lot of stuff. Even the barbarian has path to right. a path right. to pick, right? But it's a package deal. It's not like, oh, you pick this path and it's kind of a path in name, and then you get all these other choices. It's like, oh, if you pick this, here's what you get, right? right. And the thing is, like, I, I've never really enjoyed... I know that picking feats can really help your, make your character better in many ways, at least in older editions, but mm-hmm. I've never really enjoyed that process of trying to figure out out of all of the feats which one I wanted to pick. So the fact that I could just take a general bump a score rather than taking a feat was, right. seemed nice to me. Although, And mm-hmm. feats, honestly, are so... Now we're getting into what we like and don't like, but feats, oh, feats, feats, no, that's fine. <laughs> we're there. That's, that's okay. Let's take the conversation where it goes. Um, but feats are honestly, I think, one of those parts that I, I think still need some work. Um, they're, they're overly fiddly for me right now. Too many little, well, too many little moving parts that I don't want to deal with. Here's the thing is I think feats, feats is kind of like um, skills. Like you, the thing is that until they figure out the whole the, the basic math f- for everything and how all the chunks are going to fit together and how mm-hmm. skills are going to affect things, they kind of can't do feats and skills because those things are going to have a direct mechanical impact. 
and if it has a direct mechanical impact with respect to numbers, they kind of have to get the math. I, mean, I think they switch their focus to the math and to the minutia of getting everything ticked just right that you know they'll they'll come back at the end and come back around and play around with feats and, and get those set up just right. And then they may or may not stay as fiddly, but who knows? Well, no, I mean, I- and, and part of my issue is that the feats are the, – the feats that we have now – do the equivalent of like two or three feet's worth of stuff in previous mm-hmm. editions. It's just, they're just bigger now. Um, right. And, and and I don't know that that's bad. It's just very different than what I'm used to and it doesn't feel like feats. Well, I think it's because they only come like every fourth level. Yeah. I mean, so you don't get as many, but when you do, you get a big chunk of ability. Well, and they're it. trying to make it equal the power level of a, a stat boost and since everything's based on those stats, that's a big, a big right. thing to make up. Sure. Yeah, and I also wonder if they're fiddly for players who like things that are... That are fiddly. Fiddly. And then mm-hmm. if you don't like something that's fiddly, you just take the stat boost. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's maybe that's part of the issue, right? Is that there's no in-between. It's either very fiddly or very straightforward mm-hmm. and there's no in-between, which, which maybe is okay because one time I take the ability boost and the next time I take the feat or whatever, you know, I, I can opt to not do feats every time. I can mix and match. Mm-hmm. So right. I, I can take a feat every time and it goes crazy complex and crazy fiddly, or I can take it on occasion and, and keep it sort of moderate and maybe, you know, maybe it all works out. Well, I think that it serves two different types of players. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, I, for example, in one of my, one of my groups, I have a player who his, his brain just doesn't work like that. He doesn't, if he's got to sit and look at his feats and, you know, every time something happens where a feat might come into play, he's going to read all of his feats and read the whole thing and try to figure out how can I, you know, he's going to really stress himself out about trying to use that to the most efficient Absolutely. way possible. Mm-hmm. And because cause his brain just isn't built that way. He, he He's very creative. He does other things. But when you throw like a, you know, like, you know, a character in front of him that has so many choices or so many different, you know, this works in this instance and this works in this situation. And it, it drives him nuts trying to put himself in those situations. And, and it kind of almost ruins the fun for him because it, it becomes more of a tactical, how do I manipulate this to yeah. where it works perfect? It becomes for me. a resource then, management game. Right. And then he's ignoring the kind of parts of the game that he really likes. Right. So, now, now, but, but here, on but the other the hand, question. there are other players that actually like that stuff and they just sort of intrinsically understand, oh, this feat's going to do this for me at this time and that for me at that time and whatever. And when those things c- happen to come up in the game, they immediately remember and say, oh, I can do this without having to stress out about it. But here's the question, because, because in my experience, the kind of person who's going to stress out about all the little things and, and what to use and when to use it and making sure that they've optimized all that is also the kind of character who's going to stress out about it during character creation and put all those things into there. You know, mm-hmm. The person who is hurting their own, like you described, who, who, whose fun is, is damaged by all the options, mm-hmm. in my experience, is oftentimes also the character who's going to pick all those options. Yeah, not this guy. Okay, well that's good. I'm glad that yeah, he's, I would, I'm, I would I'm, gl- I'm glad that he's self aware enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think the stat bump. I, I almost always do as well. Yeah, me too. Well, so I, one of the games that I ran was a a, a one shot at a virtual online convention. I ran a, a, a game of fifth level D and D next game, mm-hmm. and um, so I made all the pregens. That's cool. So it's pretty formulaic. I mean, every every class follows the same kind of basic floor plan, but they end up still feeling very different because of their different abilities. Once you sort of get the hang of it, you just go through and 
even to level it up to fifth level, it's very simple and very formulaic, and, and you don't run into any huge problems. I didn't do feats. I chose to just do the ability stat bump. Mm -hmm. But they all of the races and classes were very simple to do, and they made a very rich variety of different types of characters. So even though it all seems formulaic and balanced, like, you know, everybody gets one or two kind of class abilities at first level, and then everybody gets a couple of things at second level, and then everybody gets something at, you know, you start a path, one of those, what they call a path in this version, mm -hmm. you know, at third level, and that gives a couple of different abilities. And then, you know, it, it, even though everybody has that same kind of type of thing, it still makes very different feeling rich characters. Yeah. Now, now here's the here's the part, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off, Tracy, but but here's one of the critiques that I that I've heard a lot of fourth edition though is that because it's also very formulaic, a lot of the classes mm -hmm. basically feel like very similar. You know, from top down view, they're all sort of the same class. Um, the, next doesn't quite feel that level of formulaic to me though. No, no, and that's not what I mean by formulaic. No, I, I just mean in terms of the process that you go through to create the character. Mm -hmm. If you're if you sit and because I sat and made like eight characters in a row. And after I made the first two, I got really fast at it because it's the same, you know, you, you're only writing down, okay, these are the two abilities you get at first level. This is what mm -hmm. you get at second level. And it's and they all get the same, roughly the same amount of abilities at but each level. I think there's not, some, I think there's some overlaps. I think there's some overlap in the two different kinds of formulaic though. Right. Th there is, yes, yes. But, but I guess what I'm saying is the abilities are different, but the sort of number of things that you get to do sure. is yes. similar. Yeah, I get yeah. that. And 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 that may that, that's interesting as well. I mean, because part one of the things that they said is that you know we're going to have the mage class, and then we're going to build wizard as one type of mage and sorcerer as another, and, and you know all the magic users will fit under mage. And now they've sort of walked back from that as well. So I think a lot of the the class formulas are still in a state of flux. I don't know if they've walked back all the way from that. I mean, I could still see that as something that they do in the future as part of the expansion of the game, maybe after the base rules. Well, we'll discuss it tomorrow when we record the news desk, but in the Legends and Lore, he specifically said they've walked back from it and they're going to make Sorcerer its own class. Uh, so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, I'm, but I guess in words, <laughs> yes, maybe, but I guess what I'm saying is because it is so formulaic-seeming, it's going to feel very similar. It'll still fit the, similar, still fit the same but, formula as the other classes. Yeah. It just won't be a build of mage anymore. Right, yeah. Anyway, Tracy, now that we've both cut you off like yeah. three times. <laughs> I was going to latch on to your saying that they had uh, rich characters. Because of the thing I noticed in this one, even more than the previous packets, was the, the use of uh, things out of combat and even things to the level of figuring out how uh, NPCs feel towards the character, the PCs, and how that modifies uh, the difficulty of checks and what those and what those NPCs might do be able be willing to do for the PCs and stuff like that. Right. The, the the interaction rules is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the interaction rules, and then everything's tied to a story, even like the uh, like bard colleges and mm -hmm. right. And I feel, it, it just, I, feel, I feel like that's – I mean there, there's a lot more of that going on throughout the, the, the packet, right? And throughout what they're doing with Next so far is it integrating more story and more background and more outside of combat stuff and all that. And I don't – and I think people will critique them as they're trying to make D&D &D something different. And I don't feel like that's what's happening though. I feel like they're taking the things that people have always done with D&D &D and they're just providing more support for it than they have in the past. 
I don't well, think people are going to complain about that. I, I think that's that was the complaint with 4E is that they didn't do that. And that's why 4E felt like such a tactical miniatures game because they their their stance with 4E was here are the rules. Now you can build the story around it. Go ahead. Boom. It's on you to build the story. Whereas here they're building it into – I mean just look at – for example, look at the difference between the way people – um, thought about, <clears throat> for example, the Monster Manual number one from fourth edition had basically no story in it. It just had monster stats. And then when they came out with Monster Vault and every monster entry had like a paragraph about their general behavior and then how they, you know, who they can lair with and who they live near and who they will work with and who they won't. And everybody loved that because that's what people want. And I think that's this similar type of type of thing. People want to know about those story things because yeah. it helps them envision well, it. So I don't think they'll complain but- about it. Well, but I think they're – so with some of the stuff, even that thing where I was talking about with the uh, NPCs' outlook towards the PCs mm-hmm. uh, or towards each other even, uh, that's still relatively new. And then the whole uh, traits of a NPC character that you can do a role to try to find one of them out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's new. That, so, that well, is, yes, I'm just talking about. Yes and no. I'm talking wait, about story elements like wait. like the path of the berserker versus the path of the totem warrior for the barbarian. For well, example. no, no. I'm saying is some of those, some of the ones like the paths thing will be similar enough to 3.5 and 4e players for people who started with those editions to feel like that's D and D, but they may not know about the older versions that had a lot of. Hey, here's help for figuring out how when you go to a tavern. Uh, there's a random table you roll on for how the patrons interact with you. Right. Right. No, you're true. That's a good point. That's, that's true. It's a good point. Yeah. And I think the, the, was it the, the bonds, flaws and ideals bit in the interaction Mm -hmm. rules. I think that's new for Mm -hmm. us in this edition. Um, but the, the, um, outlook of the NPCs, you know, whether they're hostile or friendly or whatever, that actually goes back to older editions. Yeah. That goes right back to basic. (laughs) Was but was it formalized? Like I know there's always been an outlook thing, but was it like they would be willing to make a small sacrifice for you if they're? No, it wasn't that. It wasn't li- as much like that. It was more like you know, roll a d12, and if you roll a one or a two, they're they're right. sort of they they get a bad impression of you, and they're probably going to react in a, in a disapproving way. If you roll a three or a four, they're gonna you know they're they're you know they're willing to be maybe wooed and and. You might have to, you know, sweet talk them, so to speak, to get them to right. improve their their outlook on you. If you roll a twelve, they're in love with you. They immediately take to you. You have some sort of, you know, immediate connection between you, and and so it's very easy to talk to them and to negotiate. Right. You know, it's it's kind of like that, but it wasn't as formalized. It was basically a table and a little bit of instruction. I mean, I'm talking I, about basic. Yeah, now, it got, I, I recall it was second different edition. In, it, you know, as you went, it got they yeah. they built more and more. The first edition had a lot more, and then second edition had a lot right. more, and yeah. you know. So this one is much more, in my opinion, the D and D next version is much more player driven rather than random roll or D&D. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Although yeah, I, I, I feel like second edition is, was actually fairly similar to what we've seen here. If anything else, more complex with more like degrees of right. of interaction. <laughs> um, but I think we sort of they sort of moved away from that in in I want to say in third and definitely in fourth and then and, yes. now, and now they're bringing some of that back in, which is not all bad. Now, but the other part is you know the the interaction rules with the the bonds, ideals, and flaws um, is actually a. a I mean, it's not a, a, a mind-blowing concept, but I think it, it, it's not a bad idea, and it moves the game maybe in a good direction. Yeah. 
Reminds me a little bit of the stuff I've heard about Thirteenth Age, but I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also was interested in the your lifestyle costs. If you live in at large, you have to pay a certain number of oh. uh, gold. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that part, Jeff. I where, did. Where, where's that at? Oh, is it at the end of year? In the in the. Uh, I think so. Yes. Yes. Maybe, yes. 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 Ex- the expenses. Yeah. Wretched, squalid, poor, modest, comfortable, wealthy, or aristocratic. Mm-hmm. And how much it costs you per month to live that lifestyle. Right. And this is supposed to be for like your equipment upkeep and everything too. It's just funny. That's good. I like it. No, no, yeah. And then you, so this means you have to make a certain amount of money each right. month you want to live a lifestyle. That's good. Right. I mean, that that adds a lot of it, it, it in many ways it adds a lot of the simulationistness of the game that third edition had without necessarily going completely simulationist, you know, where you don't right. have, you don't have to track every meal that you have and every, you know, every stitch that you have to make to repair your clothes and all that. Right. But you can just sort of, right. you know, take a bigger picture of it. But also it's, it's such a sort of, it's a collateral thing, right? So if you don't want to worry about it, if you really, if you're the type of GM or DM, or if, or if you're, if you have type, the type of players that really don't give a crap about that, you can completely ignore it and it doesn't hurt your game. Yep. And so you, here you've got this kind of – I'm going to call it pseudo-optional because you know it, it really is optional because it's not necessary. But it can add a richness to your campaign if you, you and your players would like that. But on the other hand, you can completely ignore it. So I, I actually like that a lot. So the, the only thing I want to know is if they figure that into the treasure overall and if, if there's a chance then that you – should take, I don't know, 50 yeah, It's interesting because I think there's been a lot less intre- uh, emphasis on treasure. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, they've way backed off on magic items. Um, and in terms of wealth, I mean, there's not a lot of guidance right now. That Maybe that's one of the things that goes into the missing category, right? There's not a lot of guidance as to what kind of treasure to give and, and all that. Well, and they simplified it well, they, uh, into the three different types. So if you encounter a bugbear, he's probably mm-hmm. only got a pouch on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it was like Quald would yes. have a chest and then dragons right. would have their horde. A horde, mm-hmm. right. So it's pouch, pouch, chest, and horde. And then, you know, then there's some other information about gems and stuff. I mean, I like that simplification, but I think, you know, one of the re- – I think they haven't made a big deal out of treasure, which is why maybe that no one's – I mean, because, you know, in 4th edition it was a huge big deal at, at some at some point um, about – how much treasure are these people really getting and all that kind of stuff. And you, you're assumed to have a certain amount of treasure at each level or mm-hmm. else you can't keep up, you know, tactically. And they've really, really, really dampened down the right. effect of that, of treasure on the rest of the activities of the, you know, and I think that was the thing in fourth edition, you really did. You either had to have a certain amount of treasure or you had to do the um, inherent bonuses mm. because you weren't buying things. Right. So you had to have that mechanically or else you, the, the game went so out of balance. And because that was a game that depended so much on balance, it was really obvious. Whereas this game doesn't depend so much on balance. So even if the treasure table that they have in here is completely screwed up, you're not as likely to notice it because it, right. the game doesn't depend on it. 
And I think because of that, they haven't really focused on it. Mm-hmm. You know, once again, I think it's a it's an area where they can come back later and really, really flesh it out and sure. make a nice little supplement or, or make a supplement that includes three or four different options regarding how to how to parcel out treasures and whatnot. Yeah. And honestly, the treasure bit is one of the bits that I haven't paid a lot of attention to because I'm actually running a, a published adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, within my next game, and we're running a third edition adventure, which actually I think in some ways is breaking the mechanics a little bit um, mm-hmm. as we're playing because it's third edition, and so everything has lots of treasure and magic items right. coming right. out of their ears. And so now I have a bunch of players that have defeated those creatures and, mo- and NPCs and whatever. And now they have magic items coming out of their ears in mm-hmm. a game designed to not have that many magic items, you know? Right. <laughs> so they've got right. tons of magic items where the, you know, the system isn't designed to support it. Right. Now, anything else that you think still needs work? Um, well, I, I haven't checked the, the monster math yet or anything like that. The monster math is whack. It's still whack. Okay. Yeah. No, they, I don't yeah. think they've done they, any updates to it. So one of the things I'm still kind of concerned about is I get bored by encounters that are just 20 kobolds attack you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing I did like about 4E, even if you didn't, and I don't, but I don't think you have to do it quite to the same level that 4E did, was the variation and roles within mm-hmm. combat. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I think, I, I mean, I think you, you've got a little bit of that going on in Next as well. It looks like they've got some hints of some of that. You know, there's multiple versions of some creatures or whatever, or some creatures that obviously sort of go, sort of go together. Right. That you can that you can form a more engaging. Uh, encounter with that way yeah but I, I feel like it's still a little late on it yeah and i and i and i think they've they've acknowledged they you know they, i think they've basically said the bestiary is not good we know the math is wrong we know we need to fix it and we'll get to it probably in the private play test you know although i did like mm-hmm. it that the NKG or however you pronounce it yeah. yeah has that uh if it's prone it takes a negative three penalty to its ac because it's got a soft underbelly so, yeah <laughs> Yeah. No. One of the yeah. They they definitely haven't given any very much, if any at all, um, sort of direction on how to create a nice, dynamic, non-boring encounter. Sure. Um, and that's one of the things that's missing from from the GM guidelines is you know okay now you've got all this information how do you take it and use it to make a really nice encounter because you know I know I keep bringing going back to fourth edition but you know that's the most current most sure. recent most current edition so might as well compare it you know fourth edition was so easy to to do to to, to make a, a nice set piece encounter um, it really sucked at doing just quick little skirmishes, but it was really beautiful in terms of doing a nice set piece. And yeah. so this this edition right now, the way they have it, of course, I know the math is going to be fiddled with, but the way it is, you can make a really nice, very quick skirmish type encounter, but doing a set piece takes a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, and sometimes even for me, it's not like it has to be a full set piece, but something in between there where... Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, sure. On and the, that's lacking as well. And on the upside, if if you're finding an encounter isn't super engaging, um, it, they're fairly fast, right? You're not going to be stuck in it for two hours like you would be in a fourth right. edition encounter. Right. Oh, yeah. But if you have ten of them that are... No, no, I get you. Right. I get you. Ten, ten in a row. Just ten suck, ten right? boring encounters yeah. is a problem, right? But if you are into right. one boring encounter... Well, and, and particularly where they talk about maybe not giving uh, XP for non-combat encounters unless there's something on the line. Yeah, I still, oh, they, I still don't use XP. I stopped using XP partway through 4th edition. I never went back. 
Yeah. So I, I, I just tell them to level up when we hit certain, uh, you know, chapters, story, story beats. Then I say, okay, we've, we've accomplished a major milestone. Go up a level. I, that's yeah, what and I, I do for my home game. But uh, when I run it at the con, uh, right. people can play multiple uh, sure. games so they might level. And I think if they don't, Jeff, if they don't, uh, speaking of that, that just level up when we hit some sort of a quote-unquote milestone, I think if they don't mention that as an optional thing in their DMG, they're going to be doing themselves a disservice. Because even though – the and people will probably scream about the fact that it would get mentioned, but I'll tell you what. Even though it's it's traditionally been an XP-based game, lots of people do that. I know a ton of people who don't even track XP. It's just a pain in the butt to track. Yeah, I think in the last five or ten years – a real movement against it. Yeah, and when you get when you get a situation where they're giving advice like, well, don't give experience points for a non-combat encounter. Well, uh, you know, I mean, then how are your players ever going to level up if you if you play a really role-play heavy game mm-hmm. and a less combat heavy game? You're going to spend eight years at first level. Well, particularly where as as much as they've done a great job, uh, I think, of increasing the interaction rules and stuff like that to give it. Um, like some sort of structure that's not just a skill challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still not there yet, I think, in my opinion, for something to replace combat encounters if you're going to do a lot of sure. non-combat right. Uh, right. time right. in the game. Right on. Yeah. Can we talk about death? Death? Death. Sure. Death, and then let's talk about multi-classing, too. Yeah, let's do it in that order. Yeah. Okay. So I have issues with death. Um, in that it doesn't matter if you get hit when you're at zero. So, so I, I get to, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you paused. I wondered if you were waiting for us to say something. <laughs> I was, and then nobody did. So I was going to go on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it sounded like you were in the middle of a thought. So it, what well, do you mean? It, what's, on, what's my, on my look through to, today, I, I, Looked at through the death rules a little more carefully in this mm-hmm. packet, and, and basically what happens is you go to to zero hit points. Um, if you go below zero, but you don't go below zero minus your maximum hit points. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have twelve hit points and you don't go negative twelve, um, you don't die. And then you go into a death roll situation where you right. you, you know like we did in fourth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make the make it three times, you stabilize. If you fail it three times, you die. Yeah. If, or if, if you're at zero hit points or lower and somebody actually attacks you, it's like a failed death roll. So if right. somebody attacks you three times after you're at zero, you die automatically. Right. So I'm unconscious. I'm dead. I'm bleeding on the ground and somebody cuts my throat and I, I'm still alive and needed, they need to do it th- two more times? Well, maybe their axe wasn't very sharp. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> this is my issue, I mean, right? I get what you're saying, well, but here's the thing. I, Look, I, if, I miss if, the coup de grace. action. If, but if you're, if you're in the middle of a battle – um, and you go down, chances are that creature is not going to stand over you and still slice your throat. They're going to go engage with the people that are still alive. And if everybody goes down, you just assume everybody dies. It takes away the occasional interesting thing that I've done, though, where, wherein you know the bad guy drops a, P, drops a PC, puts a knife to the throat and says, OK, here's how this is going to go down. We have a hostage, hostage situation all of a sudden, right? Because now – because oh, I got my knife to his throat. Do what I say or else – and they, well, say, except, they say no, and you still got two rounds to, fit, to, to knock them right, out. But, but you, but unless they do a certain number of damage in one attack. 
So you could just have. I mean, I know um, if I say you're going to house rule, that that's of course takes away the you know sure. why are we even talking about this. But I mean, you I, in that situation, if I wanted to do that, story trumps rules. So I would make the rule that look, he could kill you in one one attack, and it's going to be an auto hit because he's got his knife to your throat. So now now it goes into a role playing situation where you're doing the whole hostage thing. You're no longer in combat. So so then so that's my purview, right? Sorry, Tracy, go ahead. Well, there is the coup de grace to you. That oh, if you have to do an attack roll, but if you hit and they're already at zero, it dies. Is, uh, that, is that under? No, that's probably under combat actions, right, or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think that would still happen outside of combat too. I don't think you have to do it three times. No, no, but I mean, I mean, it is still there. In other words, rather than what what Jeff was saying, yeah, coup de gras, page seventeen of the How to oh, Play doc. Okay, good. Yep. When a foe is unconscious, you have an easier chance than normal to inflict a serious wound. You can use your action to perform a coup de gras against an unconscious creature within five feet of you. Doing so requires you to attack that creature. If you hit, the attack is automatically a critical hit. If the creature was already at zero hit points, it dies. See, that's exactly – and basically that's what I described, right? good enough. Because it's automatically a critical – Problem solved. Here we are, solving problems. Once again, the game is more complete than, than I give it credit for. You guys win. I mean, there's rules for moving yeah. a grappled creature. I'm pretty sure that. Oh yeah, and you know what? Yes. The, grapp- the grappling rules aren't horrible. Kids, this is what happens when you don't read the rules. I read the rule. <laughs> I just missed. You DM this game. Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, so the last two minutes is a waste. Moving on, multiclassing. <laughs> Sam, you wanted to talk about multiclassing? No, I, I, actually, I don't think it's a waste. I think it's good because <laughs> you know I, I missed uh, several things in this packet, and I've read it twice. So mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I still missed uh, what the proficiency bonus is. It's built into your class. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do it by class? Well, and it, uh, every class is the same. Basically by level. It's it's always like it goes from plus one up to plus six when you hit level 20. But you So you get a plus one for several levels, and then you get a plus two for several levels, and you get a plus three for several levels. And then by the time you hit 20th level, it's up at a plus six. Okay. Because I looked, it, I just didn't look in the class. Yeah, you get so you get that. And it's also in the character creation rules. If you go to the end, it, ha- it lists right. the whole chart. It's 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 there as well. Okay, I see now. Yeah, it, basically, it's hard because I DM yeah. it and not play it, so I never really look. At right, it. and that's the bonus you get for your skills. That's the bonus you get for your to hit. That's the bonus you get. I think maybe to uh, spell DCs and one or two saves. Well, spell DC it depends on what uh, class you are, but. But your every every class gets a couple of saves that they're also good at. Yeah, that's kind of weird too to me. Nah, I'm you just, know, it's just me getting used to it though. Yeah, I thought it was weird at first, but you know, after playing it, it didn't really affect very much, so it was fine. I do I do <coughs> wonder if it's making things a, a little well, not a little. I, I feel like it's making things less deadly, but that's not all bad. Um. Well, I mean it. It's another it's another teeny tiny way to differentiate that character. So Right. And part of the issue I, is that yeah. is that for a long time saves were always a ten DC. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case anymore, right? Most saves right. are based off of whatever is, is happening. So so it's just me melding the two packets in my head because I've been going through this process for so long now. Right. But you want to talk about multiclassing. Multiclassing. Well, I just I wanted everybody's thoughts on it. Cause I, so I'll be totally honest and say I I think I multiclassed when I was very young because I thought it was cool to just have you know have my fingers in everything. But as, pretty much, I don't multiclass ever. Like the last time I multiclassed was probably twenty years ago, literally. 
Mm. Like I just don't multi-class. But but I find the multi-class because I usually find the multi-class rules either com- completely make someone way uber powerful or are so they weaken the character so much that it's that it's de- yeah it's that's so debilitating that it's pointless. So why would you do it? So it's kind of like a throwaway rule that it's just there for the people who want to tinker. And I'm just curious what how you guys feel about uh, well, the, the I feel like there's the potential that this multi-classing could be one of the better implementations of it, and here's why. Um, it gives you the freedom of third edition multi-classing and that you can just sort of take a level in whatever class you want at each level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. it doesn't have the problems in third edition multi-classing where, oh, I'm going to take a level of this because they get a ton of powers at level one. Because they built in those those first three levels as sort of your apprenticeship levels where you're you don't have all the abilities you're building up over those three levels that you don't like load up on everything in level one. So there's not mm-hmm. a massive advantage in taking one level in a class like people did in third edition. Um, the only right. area where you do run into some possible problems is um, is on you know like. Like third edition had issues where if you multi-class into spellcasting classes, suddenly you were less effective as a spellcaster because your 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 save DCs were really low, mm. you know, they, because they didn't scale. Um, I think I wonder if the proficiency bonus issue doesn't fix some of that because your proficiency bonus is based off of your I think it's total classes, your character level, not your class level. Right. So so That's it actually right. it actually resolves some of that. Your your spells are in, as a wizard will continue to get harder to save against mm-hmm. as you pick up fighter levels. Uh, but it also builds in the prerequisites that that seem familiar to me going back to like second edition, right? Where you can't just multi-class mm-hmm. willy-nilly. You have to actually meet some qualifications sure. for it to make sense. Um, so in a lot of ways, I feel like this multi-classing um, is possibly the better multi-class, best multi-classing I've seen. That, that doesn't mean it's going to be great, and I haven't seen it in full action yet. Um, but that's my early impression, is that it looks like the best multi-classing I've seen in a while. Well, cool. Gary and Dave seem to like it. <laughs> Gary and Dave? The, the example people. <laughs> oh. Of course they're Gary and Dave. Yeah, of course it's Gary and Dave. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I... I read it and I thought it seemed really reasonable and it seemed yeah. like it was a good way to meld whatever two or three classes you choose. But I was just, you know, the whole thing, you know, here's the thing is when you pick something at first level, you only have to spend, what, 250 experience points in that level and then you level up, right? But but if you, if you get to be third level in that thing and then you multi-class – you're spending a lot more than 250 experience points uh-huh. in in that first level of that other class. So Absolutely. yeah, I was wondering if it gimped you or if it actually, like you said, it's actually a way to keep people to a minimum of multi-classing. Well, I th- and I think that's I think that's part of the idea, right? Is that you know you, you can maybe plan from day one. I'm going to be a fighter wizard and and split it early those early levels between the two and, and work your way that way, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that makes some sense. Um, now you might run into an issue of I went through 10 years of fighter and all of a sudden something happens and according to the story that would follow I suddenly decide to become a druid Um, Mm -hmm. yeah you're going to be maybe gimped a little bit for a couple of levels while you get caught up but that doesn't feel inappropriate I don't know I don't mind doing stuff like that sometimes because it makes sense story wise and it doesn't put you so far behind that you're useless 
Well, it depends on what level you. I mean, so you know, if you only if you go three levels, you you've got about a thousand experience points, and you've got three levels. But then if you multi-class, then you're going to spend the next twelve hundred just at that one level. Yeah. And then, but that and that doesn't seem like too much. But then if you think about, well, if you're tenth level, and you've got ten levels in something, and then you multi-class. You've got you know eleven thousand ex- experience points you have to earn just to become second level in that thing, and the first level of any class is not that powerful. Yeah. So, you know, and, I mean, I guess it. You know, perhaps it, it's better to multi-class when you're lower levels. I guess is my point. Yes, I, I think that's true, uh, and I think one of the reasons I don't have as much of an issue with it is because I don't use experience points anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's another another reason not to use experience <clears throat> yeah. points. I guess when well, I'm looking at, you know, creatures that are, you know, first level and they're worth 10 experience points or creatures that are fourth level or worth 40 experience points, it seems like getting 11,000 experience points is, is going to take quite a while. Sure. <laughs> so, and I mean, that's very old school. I, I'm, I'm not saying this as a complaint. I'm just saying I think they really, it's a, it's a very sort of modest multi-classing arrangement. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Tracy, go ahead. Oh no! I just I, I I do think that some of it was the proficiency part because mm-hmm. you still gain that part even right. if you don't gain the new spells and that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and you're you're not wrong that it's modest, and I think that's not a bad thing because we already have a thousand and one class options. If you <laughs> absolutely can't build what you want to build with the classes provided, and you have to multi-class to do it, then it should be more modest than flashy, right? Right. Because you're already doing something crazy. All right. Anything else we want to talk about? Hmm. I think I've discussed what I wanted. I mean, I think we're missing some of the obvious, you know, there's some spells that need to be in there. There's some classes that people are on. There's some races I'd like to see. Magic items are are woefully short. Um, Bestiary needs a complete rework. But um, I think the rules as a whole are more complete than I even thought they were going into this. I mean, you you say all those things, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I, I think if they put out a core set that had the basic amount of content that's in this playtest packet, it would feel like a complete game. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah. there might be spells or there might be feats or something that you wish you could have, but that allows them to add things on later and, right. you know let's face it, make more money by selling supplements. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, they're a business that this is part of they're what they have, have to. They eventually have to. Yeah, they, they eventually have to, you know, figure out how to make it so that they're not flooding their market and burning everybody out with purchasing books and, and yet at the same time giving a steady stream of good content that actually does add value to the game rather mm-hmm. than just adding bloat. And I think if they released a core set that was that was uh, roughly this amount of material. Now, I don't think that this is exactly how it's I think Randall said this on the last newscast, right? Is that I don't I also agree with him. I don't think this is this isn't exactly what it's going to be. I think there's going to be a great amount of this that is different yes. from what from what people. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about is skills. How about the skills? Cuz they took the skills out in August and then they put them back. Yeah. What do you think about the skills? Uh the skills are better and I'm Still not happy. <laughs> Why? I, I haven't been happy with the skills. I haven't been happy with a single iteration of the skills um, in Next. I think the skills that I think the skills that are there now are functional and kind of a little bit boring. Um, I think the most exciting skills they've had is the ex, the skill die mechanic, 
Um, but that was also a little bit like wild and swingy. Um, honestly, if which I, I liked that. that, and that I think that's more fun. I just yeah. don't know if it makes the most sense all the time. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, I think if it were if I had my dithers, um, we would go back to third edition style skills. I like yeah. skill ranks. I like building my skills point by point. I, I enjoy doing that, but that's me. Would you be happy with that being an optional subsystem that absolutely. you can fit it onto it? Because I don't like that. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I think that's fine. I think I think that's yeah. that, that's okay to have uh, a variety of options for skills or whatever. I just haven't been particularly pleased with any of them that I've seen so far. I feel like what's there now is in the mid range between between no skills and between the type of skills with with knowledge trees that you're talking about. And it kept their idea of still mapping everything back to the ability scores. Yep. Because one of the only things that they haven't really wavered, you know, that they, that they keep coming back to and they, and they stopped wavering from it is the idea that they don't want the ability to be useless, right? The ability should be important, mm-hmm. the, the, the ability score. So map everything back to the ability score, and then you're making a direct you know, correlation to the things that are supposed to be the, the, the makeup of this character, which are the, gen- the ability scores, which are the inherent skills of that person. Yeah, Tracy, no. what were you going to say? Oh, no, I, I, I think it's good. I, I, I like the shorter list. I don't – again, but I'm not, I'm not a type of person who likes to – over where to put my points. Sure. Okay, I, but I think- even but even from the DM's perspective, I mean, when then there, when there's these huge so let me put it this way: yeah. when I when I run a game, I I look at what my player you know the type of characters my players build, and if I have a character who's a skill monkey who builds all of these you know really interesting skill trees and knowledge bases and all that kind of stuff, I feel like part of my duty as a DM is to make sure you that like they that? get to use that stuff, you know, because basically when they build that character, what they're saying is I want to use this. And that means that the onus is on me, in part at least, to, to make sure that that can happen. And I put some things that are, you know, it's it's sort of like, look, if your if your player puts, you know, twenty twenty ranks into, uh, you know, riding, you better give that character something to ride. You better they better have a mount, or there better be some creature that they can use that skill with, or something, because right. they're yes, they're yes putting no. all that energy into that. Well, at least at least a little bit, be, not necessarily maybe every session, but I mean that's sort of you know, look, if you're going to build a character and put twenty ranks into mount riding, you know, I mean that's that says something about what you what right. you want to. But what be that doing. Can, what, what that can mean for me as a DM is that's an important part of that character. Um, and and they should have the opportunity to to utilize that. I don't have to make that a thing. Like I don't have to make writing a thing in my game. But I but if they want to go out and buy well, a mount, then they have yeah. the opportunity to do that. You know. Well, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm I would p- make you know put the whole focus of the campaign around. No, no, something no, no. I happen- know what you're saying. But you know, it's sort of like and and so I guess the point is if you then have this huge skill tree system. I've got to look at all of these skills and ranks and everything for all of the PCs and try to make sure that I can accommodate at least some of those. You know and that's much more work for me. <laughs> you know what I feel like? I feel like the next edition after this one will <laughs> will look at uh, the, some of the mundane equipment, some of the background traits, and the skills and figure out how to make a more generalized form of that with its own currency. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Tracy already designing 
D and D next edition. next. <laughs> well, because the thing is that those things all touch on the same thing, which is to give you bonuses in certain situations to a skill check. <laughs> which is why right. they all used to be the same thing. That's the other yeah. thing. I don't think I like the tool thing. Really? Why? I just just make them skills. <laughs> well, I don't need it, tool. It, I don't need tool climber well, kit. Just give me but, a but skill it, but for but it allows a level of granularity that opens that ability to use that thing up to a range of people if they want to spend, spend resources on, on learning how to use it. I mean, I think they should just go and get training. And then you can add NPCs into your game because they have to go see people to train with. Mm-hmm. And then that in, in, enriches the story rather than you pick these skills. Blah, 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 blah. I'm stabbing sharp implements into my eye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm fine with that. I mean, I could give or take the tool thing. I don't really care about it. But I think what they're trying to do is make proficiency a thing. And so then you've got weapon proficiencies, armors proficiencies, non-weapon proficiencies, and tool proficiencies, and other, and, you know, they can actually expand or contract that based on any given GM's preferences. Oh, and and the other thing is uh, by making some of those those tool proficiencies, they're trying to make it so characters don't all have the same skills and then are fighting with each other to be the to one... To use them, yeah. Or, or like, suddenly you have, at your table, four out of the five people took Arcana as their skill, and they're all going to make the skill check. Right. All going to try to make the skill check. On the other hand, you've got the situation where you don't have a rogue in the party, but yet... You can pick locks because the one guy took right. proficiency with tools, and so he can use these tools. He's just not really stealthy, and he's not a true thief. He's got other talents, but he knows right. how to do that, which I like that part of it. Now, he has to meet some sort of prerequisite in order to do that, or he has to sacrifice or spend some resources to do that. I like that, that he can do that. But you could, so do, that you, you could do that you in know. other skill systems as well and make him skills. Right, third edition skills. You could put ranks into into things that weren't in your class, and you could learn that stuff. And it was right, just but, it was just well, a skill. No, I know, and well, I'm like, just didn't saying. You have like, to usually, have you know. to take a, f- or sometimes you had to take a feat to open them up, didn't you? They were just uh, harder. To, I mean, you had to put more points into them. Yeah, but then the other thing is, people would t- all put the same points into things. Right, and, and so and, and see, I think that's where some of the issue is coming from, is because I didn't, I don't think I typically used skills in that edition in the way that a lot of people did. I didn't always min max my skills. I, I, to me, putting a couple of points, a skill points, into places at each level was developing the story of that character and what ha- what's happened to them and where they're going um, in that sh- short period of time. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it, it developed story for me more than it right. was. I'm always putting and, the points into that thing. But if yeah, it's not really that's... helping you actually make the check, why can't you just say that your character is developed in these areas? But these are the areas where. It- has an actual effect in game. But you can't do that here either. Why not? Because we have all these skills. I can't just say, well, my character is good at athletics even though I haven't gotten proficiency in it. Oh, but yes, you can because the proficiency bonus is relatively small and everybody can make a strength check and say that that's their athletics check. You just don't get the plus one or the plus two. Which means the other guy's always better than me still. Oh, but... But by a much smaller margin than if you actually had to spend ranks on a huge amount of skills to choose from. I understand. I mean, I'm, you know, it's just one way to do it. Yeah, I understand. One of of my uh, friends designed a game where it was like based in high school and you could totally pick modifiers to 
descri- labels to describe your character, but only one of them was the one you got the uh, the bonus for. But yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I got one. Know. I got one more skill question. Okay. Sure. Search and perception. Mm-hmm. Do we really need both? Come on. Well, you're the one who wants a giant list no, no, of no, no, skills no. with ranks, and I, are you I telling want, me you can't want, understand how search can be for, different from just general perception? I never said I wanted a giant <laughs> list. I just said I wanted to be able to put skill ranks into things. Uh huh. I'm which happy, inherently I'm happy with a short it, that, list. that comes with a huge list. Not, not if not if it's uh, relatively few skill points to put in. Uh, you know the math the math is flatter. Mm. You know, but, so, yeah. then you wouldn't be able to pick some things that just show where your character kind of dabbled this past level. Because you can. It doesn't mean that you need a, a list with with overlapping well, abilities. They even in the perception they have a whole section <laughs> on perception <laughs> and how it works and the difference between perception but you just and search said and that it doesn't it work. Doesn't, it, you don't need a long list if you only have a few points to put in. And but if you only have a few points to put in, you don't necessarily. But you're still making some choices. Even if it's just one skill point per level or whatever, you're making meaningful choices. You don't think there are choices in lots of places already? No, there are. I like these choices, though. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, like, search is an intelligence yes. check, right? Isn't perception a wisdom check? Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. There's the difference right there. But, yeah. okay, okay, Why but, is that hard for you to understand? <laughs> <laughs> because that's you're t- t- telling me things in mechanical terms and not in realistic terms. Okay, so realistic terms is your perception is your inherent sense of being aware of the things around you and perceiving well, there's a change in your environment. And searching is when you intelligently think, okay, where would this person hide this thing? I'm right. going to look there. So search is active. Those are totally different. Search is active, perception is passive, and they specifically say in the mechanics and in the rules for perception, which it has to have its whole own section because it's so stupid that that there is oftentimes a place where the line is very blurry and you can't tell the difference. They say yeah. it in the rules that you can't tell the difference sometimes. So uh-huh. why are they different? Just just may have have perception one one thing and because have, a, have then, a passive and an active skill and call it that. Because because this way you don't gimp a cleric who has a really high wisdom and a low intelligence. Yeah, I don't think you need to have the same skill in every other in every ability score. Well, you don't, but you don't. You're you're picking on the one overlap, but that actually has like a real world real world correlation that ha- that is a difference. And you're saying that e- because there's sometimes when there might be a blurry overlap, you shouldn't have two at all. And I'm disagreeing. I, I think you can have two of those. I think, and I th- I think that if there's a blurry overlap, you can give the choice to the PC and say, well, you know, you can use your intelligence or your wisdom to make this check. It's no, up see, to you. See, now I have I've. Two issues here. On one hand, it's a game. You don't have to, to mimic reality in that, in, mm-hmm. in that much granularity. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and B, if you're going to mimic it in that much granularity, then anybody who's pr- proficient in, in perception has to, by definition, get a bonus in search because they're directly related to the point that they're mm-hmm. almost the same thing. They're not directly related. If you're, if you're that perceptive, you're going to be better at searching whether you're proficient in it or okay. not. Okay. No, no. So here's the thing is that search is you walk into a room. And you think to yourself, I'm looking for this one clue, where might this person hide this thing, this piece of paper? And you intelligently think to yourself, the logical place to hide this thing is X. 
I'm going to go look at X. That's very different from being aware of your surroundings and noticing if there's a change in the environment or if there's something going on or if something looks out of place. That's very, those two things are very different. But, but if, if my perception tells me that something is out of place, isn't that going to directly affect my ability to intelligently search for things? No. Yes. That will tell you something's <laughs> out of place, but maybe you're not freaking smart enough to know – to realize what's out of place. You just know something's out of place, but you don't know where to look to figure out with what it is. I walk into a what's room. I can tell that there's maybe, something out of place on the desk. OK. So you see that, but <laughs> then you, they, maybe you cannot logically make a, a, a logical jump. That I should look at the desk? No, to make a conclusion <laughs> about what it possibly caused it. Uh, I think it's – I think there are in many ways almost the same thing or at least mm. directly connected. I think it, very small times they're, they're directly connected and most of the time they're very different. I think in very large times they're mostly connected and in very small times they're not. When you're okay. just walking down – well, first of all, actually I think perception is more based on exploration and search seems to be something like you could do more in combat. So here's the thing, though. The fact that we have very different opinions about when it could be different and where it overlaps and how much it overlaps says to me there should be both of them. The Both of them should exist. So, so but by that logic, you're saying, but because you say both of them should exist and I don't, that both of them should exist, and that's dumb. No, what I'm saying <laughs> that is, is horrible if, logic. If, oh, no, no, my logic is if reasonable people can disagree about the extent of overlap and use of those two skills, then it seems reasonable also to say let's leave it up to the GMs that are running those games, what, how they want to adjudicate those two skills. So you're saying that you're reasonable, huh? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you used, Tracy used her insight to figure out that I was going to say that. Mm-hmm. Sense motive. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> oh, my God. I oh, boy. Are uh, we going to talk about I, that, too? <laughs> sense motive? How it's, how it's different or similar to It's, it's insight. insight. It's the same thing. It's a game. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Words have meanings. <laughs> ah. Here's the thing, okay? I'm a sensory physiologist, so s- search and perception. I have no problem seeing those as two different things. I just when, when, when I have my my dwarf, who at least in one packet got an advantage on searching when in stone areas or whatever. Um, but, but no, I'm sorry. He got it, a stone stone cutting ability of right, dwarves. So, right, but it, but it was based on on perception, and, it, he, and he would just automatically walk into a room and say, "Well, I perceive the room to, instead of searching it." Stone cutting now, but but stone cutting now gives you a bonus to your yeah, intelligence history checks based yeah. on architecture and stone use. But that's but I'm talking about a previous one. Okay, but th- th- we're, but but we're exactly. reviewing the current one, Jeff. Yes, I know, but that but that that <laughs> scenario. Highlights exactly the, the issue that I have. If, well, if, maybe if that's why can, they changed that particular one. But no, but you're going to tell me there's never going to be anything that ever that ever gives preference to perception and or search. No, I that, didn't. That say mechanic that. I'm just is going you to a exist. Hard time because you told me I wasn't reasonable. I know, <laughs> but that mechanic's going to exist. And if a player can go in and walk into a room and say, "I search the room," and while somebody else says, "I I perceive the room," to to elicit the exact same effect, then they're too much the same thing. 
But when somebody, but the, nobody's going to walk in and go, I perceive the room. They do it all the time when the mechanics support that. <laughs> no, because if that person goes in and says, I searched the room, I'm going to say to them, what, what are you searching for? Where are you searching at? If they go in and say, I use perception, I say, okay. And then if they make a roll, I tell them, okay, you look around and you notice X, Y, and Z. That's very different from searching in a very specific spot. Yeah. We're not getting anywhere, so let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could keep going on this, but there's no point in the listeners of lost this five minutes ago. (laughs) Five minutes ago? Are you kidding all Wait, right. you guys are still talking? Do we do we do we have any more playtest packet stuff we want to talk about, or can we wrap this thing up? Did you read the read this first? No. <laughs> I honestly can't tell you the last time I looked at the read this first. Has it changed? I think it changes every time because it it tells you what about... it tells you what's changed. Yeah. <laughs> what the the read first part? Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff on there. Okay. Mine is the, – the interesting thing is they only changed a, a few things for the – I mean the interesting thing to me is they made an actual update on 10.14 when I thought you know that 9.19 was the last sort of thing we were getting. Right. And, then, right. and then they adjusted the Druid a great deal on, on 10.14 and then they adjusted the, uh, the character sheet. They, they, they forgot to change it to add skills instead right. of lores. So they affected that, and then they added some, you know, playtest stuff. Uh, and, then some, they, and then they just sort of said, uh, th- "That's the last one, we swear." Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> we that's forgot it, this. We got forgot some things. Can, <laughs> I actually do want to bring up one thing. It's a, it's a small nitpick thing. As long as it's not on about the character skills. sheet. <laughs> what? As long as it's not about skills. <laughs> no, on the character sheet, the racial traits thing makes it seem like it's in your DNA that you have this. Well, it's racial. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's just the thing. R- with race, me. race is part of DNA, right? <laughs> oh boy, isn't it? No. Okay. Yes, absolutely. If I understand DNA, racial well, yeah, racial, that's, that's, racial traits that, would would be in your that's, DNA. That's a relatively vague statement, though. I mean, you're. you're I know racial traits in real life or racial traits between a dwarf. So and I don't elf think and, a, and, and a dwarf world. that was raised by elves will necessarily understand all of the. F- fine details of architecture mm-hmm. to get their bonus to the stone thing. Well, the right. rules of D&D disagree with you, so there. Because it's in their DNA. Oh yeah, so why are, how are wood elves and, why are wood elves so different from the other elves? Because they have different DNA. <laughs> wow. That's what the mechanic says. <laughs> it's on the character sheet, Tracy, did you see it? <laughs> A bit. <laughs> But that's not what it says. Because they've spent so much time among the stones, they know how to blah, 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 blah. Right. Because it's been built into the DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Because the elves that adopted that dwarf knew that they should take it to the mountains every single day of its life and show it really cool architecture so that it can learn those skills. You don't need to teach it. It's in its DNA. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It's not nurture. It's nature. (laughs) God, that's a whole <laughs> other podcast. I'm just telling you what the game mechanics support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is well, what the game of D and D next currently says. Mm-hmm. You know what else? The the, the game the, in the DNA of this D and D next packet is the fact that perception is different from search. I know it drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. You can be driven crazy. <laughs> no, you're allowed to be driven crazy. <laughs> 
I think we should get a science skill now that we have a medicine skill. And we have DNA, apparently. <laughs> I thought the medicine skill was kind of... It's uh, it's odd. That's that's the one thing actually, Tracy, with the whole DNA thing on the racial traits that actually bothers me is that it look it looks more sciency. Well, and yeah, no. it's, a, it's a fantasy game. Mm. Don't give me sciency icons. The gearhead thing too it could probably change. Under proficiencies, that that character sheet looks pretty, but it's not. I it's don't not, like. It's not it. as functional. The old it, one I think was more not, functional. It's not functional at all. And when you I, – I don't know if they've – maybe with the update they've fixed it, but I tried to use it when it first came out as that, oh, here's our new character sheet. And when you type in certain things, it doesn't – you know, it's supposed to automatically adjust the font size to fit whatever you type. It didn't do it, and mm. so you could only fit like three huge letters in <laughs> I've only ever handwritten in. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not very useful in terms of that, but – I mean, that's right. a small thing overall. Well, if we're quibbling so. over the character sheet now, I think it's time to call it quits. Yeah. Well, not Very quibbling. Well. Just just pointing out <laughs> certain things. Some people care about that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't really care. I made my own character sheet, and that's what I use. So, you know, whatever. Well, cool. Is it on your website? It is. It, it's, has, it's, it's from the July packet, though, so it, it's going to be missing some things if and, you're looking And where for is your website, Sam? It is RPGmusings.com. And what are these other podcasts that you moonlight with? Um, moonlight? I I am on a <laughs> I'm on a podcast called the Play on Target podcast. That's at playontarget.com and across the table madly.com. There you go. So Sam, I'm going to take over Tracy's role here and say thanks. You're welcome for joining <laughs> us think... in this episode. Yeah. So Tracy, right. you can take my bet. <laughs> and now that you know how to get a hold of Sam, you can also contact us at the Tome Show at gmail.com. Or on our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. T-O-M-E. And show notes and other Greek tome shows can be found at thetomeshow.com. And that's where we finally come out of beta testing so that we can hurry up and wait for the next episode of... The Tome. 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 I'm on the wall.